Hey guys. So um, if you, if you want to know a fun fact about me is that I am, am not originally from Ocean County. I grew up way, way, way up in North Jersey, the, the, the very boonies. Our house is like a mile off the New York state border. And uh, we'd go, you know, skiing and, and whatever. So the beach was not my, my playground, but I'm here. I moved down here in 2009 to uh, get involved with a uh, nearby ministry. I got involved with their youth ministry, but it was a volunteer position, right? Didn't, didn't pay me any money, so I needed a job. But it was 2009. Uh, if you remember 2009, it was very hard to find a job. We were in the middle of a financial crisis. So for months I worked here and there and wasn't having much luck holding down a job because jobs are hard to come by. But I found one place that was looking for as many people as they could get to work for them. And that was a real estate agency. There was no hourly pay. The benefits were not great if there at all. And if you know anything about real estate is that you need to sell a house. They work on commissions. So you need to sell a house to get paid. You have to do weeks and weeks and week, weeks of work to receive a paycheck. So uh, pay was not regularly coming in. I thought, hey, you know what? This is great. I can do this. I can make phone calls. I can meet people. I can, I can sell houses. I was pumped. I was ready to go to work. If you're friends with me on Facebook, um, this is my, my banner profile. Uh, here we have an elephant participating in trapeze with what we're hoping is the world's strongest monkey. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to end pretty, but it's captioned with the title Optimism. And I am a notoriously optimistic person. I tend to jump headlong into things before I really know all the facts about them. And you know what? That's a great quality to have. It's great to, to step out and say, hey, God's going to pull me through this. Hey, this situation is really going to work out in my favor. I can rest in that. My optimism did not serve me in this particular situation. It turns out, uh, while there was a financial crisis, there was also a housing crisis. The housing market was terrible. And I was, I was in the middle of getting my real estate license. I had a friend approach me and say, hey, are, are, you, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you, you realize this is a terrible market, right? Probably not going to work out for you. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I got this. I got, I got optimism. We're good. It was not good. <laughs> but my optimism gave me this perspective that, that ignored all the facts that came my way. Here's where some of the things that I overlooked. No one was buying houses. It was, it was, it was the complete opposite of the housing market we are in right now. Just nobody was buying houses. Pri housing prices were low. So if I were to sell a house, I wasn't making that much money. I had only recently moved to Ocean County, so unless I was seeing, you know, my friends at church or my, my friends, which I didn't have too many of at the time, I, I didn't have a network. I didn't know people around here. I was, I was advertising on Facebook to my friends that were like up in North Jersey. Hey, come by my house. Anyway, um, and one fact I would find out later is that I am really, really bad at sales. When it comes to making other people spend their money, I am a terrible salesperson. <laughs> it took me two or three sales jobs to, to find that out. But what did I have? I had optimism. And optimism 
did not serve me. This perspective that, that no matter what facts were in my way, I would go and do this was a perspective that led me to failure. And maybe you have your own story of, of, of a perspective that, that led you to favor. Maybe you took a job that you thought, oh, this is going to be life-changing. I'm going I'm to pick up and move my family and, and go here and, and start a new life, and it, it didn't work out. Maybe you found a special someone, and that special someone was very special for somebody else. It wasn't <laughs> your special someone. Right. And maybe you've made some decisions with a certain perspective in mind, but you, it didn't work out. We all have those stories. We all have those situations. Uh, today, I want to look at a situation in the Bible where we have Jesus, and we have some different perspectives about him and his ministry. So we're going to look in the book of Luke. But first, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, that it is as sharp as any two-edged sword that separates bone and marrow. Lord, we thank you that your word will illuminate our minds and our hearts today, and we wouldn't leave here the same way we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. We're going to start here in 31. At that very same, or at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, said to the Pharisees, go and tell that fox, the king, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jesus, that wasn't very nice to say to the Pharisees, but Jesus' perspective made him that bold. So we have different perspectives here, right? We have first King Herod. King Herod is the king over, over Israel, and he sees this guy, Jesus, talking about a kingdom that is coming, a new kingdom. If you're the present king and someone's talking about a new kingdom, uh, you might perceive that person as a threat. And that's what Jesus was up against. And then you had the perspective of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were the teachers of Jewish law. And half of the Gospels are the Pharisees coming up and saying, hey, Jesus, you're wrong about this. We're going to throw a wrench in your plans. You don't know what you're talking about. You are a blasphemer. You are speaking against God. Hey, everyone around us, don't believe what this Jesus guy says. So they spent their time trying to influence people, trying to push this perspective that Jesus was someone he wasn't. And they wanted him gone. And finally, we have the perspective of Jesus, right? Jesus was focused on his mission, on his calling. He knew that, hey, I am the Messiah. I have a mission to do here on earth. And he knew it was going to end poorly for him. But it kept him focused. It kept him on task. So much so that he has the boldness to face a king and say, Hey, you fox or other choice word insult of the day, listen, I'm doing my thing. I'm going to continue on in my mission. And there's nothing you, all-powerful king, can do to stop me. Jesus 
used his perspective to propel him forward along God's path. So to recap, we have three different perspectives. We have the, the, the perspective of Herod, who sees this guy talking about a new kingdom. Jesus is perceived as a threat. And then you have the Pharisees talking about uh, painting Jesus as this blasphemer, this guy who is, is uh, just not talking about God in the right ways. We can't let him do this. He needs to go. And then you have Jesus, who is following God's will and God's plan for his life. And even to, in today's times, we have perspectives that drive us to do different things. I have a video here that, that tells us about a, uh, a certain perspective that we all know now is wrong, but there was a little bit of confusion uh, 70, 80 years ago. So let's, uh, let's give it a look. You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment? See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. See how camels agree with your throat. <laughs> wow. We know better nowadays, but from the 1930s to the 1950s, cigarette companies used ads like this, getting the influence of doctors to influence, or the perspective of doctors to influence people about something that was pretty bad for you. It was as early as 1939 that some studies were coming out and saying, hey, this smoking thing isn't great. It's probably going to kill you. It leads to cancer. It leads to heart disease. But that didn't stop that, those commercials for another 10, 12 years, right? We have these tobacco companies saying, hey, if your doctor smoked this, and, and your, doctor, your doctor is the epitome of health, right? And your doctor knows what is good for you. Why would a doctor who practices medicine do something that was bad for him? Like, that doesn't make sense. So yeah, smoke, go for it. It's great. Feels good on your, on your throat, whatever. Um, but you know what, that ad campaign, it worked. It worked so much that there were generations after that period that still thought, hey, my, my doctors smoke it, it's not that bad. Today we know better, today we have a different perspective about smoking. And there were some people who did learn about the dangers of smoking when it was too late when the heart disease or the lung disease caught up with them. Just like with those cigarette ads, the, the Pharisees made great effort to convince people that Jesus was not the Messiah they were waiting for. Despite the signs, despite the wonders, despite the miracles, despite everything that Jesus did to prove that he was the Son of God, the Pharisees worked against it. And it worked. 
so much so that Israel missed it all the way up until Jesus was killed. This is why in verse 33, Jesus begins to, to lament. He says this in 33, For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones those who are sent to it. This is Jesus talking, right? This isn't a, a poet or anything. This is, this is, I'm imagining, a dramatic Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and, and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus laments. Jesus does this thing called lamenting, and, and that's not a very common phrase or practice we have in the English language. When you, when you, you, know, you drive your car and maybe you uh, parked a little close to the parking barrier, park, parking barrier and you like dinged your bumper, you don't go ripping your clothes and like crying out to God because something, something bad happened. It's not something we really do. But Jesus here laments, and to lament, to lament is defined as this, to feel deep sorrow or express it as by weeping or wailing, to mourn or to grieve. Jesus mourns over Jerusalem due to his perspective. The name Jerusalem means city of peace. Jerusalem was supposed to be God's shining city on a hill. Jesus knows this. Jesus saw all that Jerusalem was supposed to be, but he mourned over what it had become. Then Jesus laments over the killing of prophets, people sent by God to Israel to be his mouthpiece, to direct Israel and say, hey, you need, to, you need to shift your direction and go this way to instill the perspective of God upon his people. He sent prophets only for them to be rejected and killed. And most recently, it was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who was beheaded for talking about the kingdom of God, for having some choice words for the king and how he should change his direction. They missed it again. And soon enough, they would kill Jesus and miss it big time. So Jesus laments. But in this lament, it's not all sadness and, and, and crying, but he reveals the heart of God. In verse 34 again, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? It was never that God wanted to reject Israel. He wasn't playing ping pong with the people of Israel saying, hey, I love you, hey, I don't, hey, I love you, hey, I don't. That's not the heart of God. God, time and again, sent people to Israel to draw them closer to him. He was always there waiting, wanting to embrace the people of Israel with open arms, like a mother hen would cover her young and protect them from dangers and the elements. That is the heart of God, not to record every bad thing we do and count it against us, but rather be our deliverer, be the person who is always there to lift us back up when we've done something wrong, when we've fallen 
away. But time and again, Israel missed it. All throughout the Old Testament, we have stories of a, of a merciful God going before his people and delivering them from threats and dangers, defeating entire armies. We have Moses eating, or leading the Israelites out of Egypt, right? That was a miraculous thing, to take a people out of the control of, of another nation and lead them into the, the, the wilderness. And the people of Israel, they saw miracles. They saw the Red Sea split open. They saw manna fall from heaven. They saw all of these things that point to, hey, God is there and he's providing for us. Yet within a generation, they were like, I, I don't know if God's going to show up, guys. You know, even a few years later, they were making a golden calf while Moses was away on a mountain with God. You have David and Goliath, right? You have David, this teenage boy who does the unthinkable feat of defeating a professional warrior. That should not have happened, but for God. Yet, in just a few generations, we see Israel going, I, I, God was real then, I don't know if he's real now. I don't know about this God thing. Is God going to show up? I don't know. Instead of trusting in God and his plan. Time and again, Israel rejected God's plan. But why? why? Why would Israel do this? It was their perspective. It was the perspective that, hey, I know better than God. I don't need God's plan because I have a better plan. Israel missed it time and again because their perspective was flawed. And throughout history, you see flaws in their perspective all the way up to Jesus, where their flawed perspective led them to miss the Messiah that was sent to deliver them from their sins. Today's main point is, is, is this. It is the same thing today that flawed perspectives lead to rejection. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. In our daily lives, when we have a flawed perspective, it'll lead us to reject God's will for our life, sure. It'll also lead us to reject people from our lives. Think of the past two years. We've, we've been through a heck of a two years. All of us. It's been difficult. Are there people in your life who aren't in your life anymore? because of a certain perspective, people you don't talk to anymore because their views differed from yours. Maybe it was political. Maybe it was, it was on health care. I'm sure in this room there are a very number of opinions on health care and politics and all that jazz. But we put that aside to love one another. But let's, let's assume this, right? Let's assume that, that you and I, in our all-knowing state of being, that we know everything, that we had the absolute perfect stance or opinion on this specific thing, right? Let's assume we are 100% correct. Is being correct about that thing more important than the mandate we were given to love our neighbor as ourselves? Was it more important to believe X, Y, and Z than to say, hey, I love you anyway, because 
as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be his embodiment of love. How many times do we get stuck on our perspective more than the perspective that we should have. And, and I, I do it too, right? The older I get, the, the, the more and more I realize that I cannot be right 100% of the time. I am a married man. I cannot be right 100% of the time, right? I have, this, I have this human brain, and it is flawed, and I am bound to be wrong about something. But on the other hand, Jesus was the only human in all of history to have a perfect perspective. Jesus is who we follow through life to get that perfect perspective. The perspective we should be striving for is the perspective of God. So it's super simple to be like, yeah, just follow God. Change your perspective. Change everything you believe to follow God. Like, it's not easy. It's it's. It's hard to change something you hold dear and believe deeply to then say, hey, I'm going to let this go for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel. So how do we do that? If it's not easy, if it's not easy to just change direction, how do we do that? Well, I have three things we can do to, to help us change our perspective. The first one is to, to read God's word. And we, reading God's word is great. But if you're not applying it, it's useless. We need to read and even if just take a little bit, take something a day. Hey, I'm going to love my neighbor a little extra today. Hey, I don't need to be perfect, but I am going to follow God in this area. I'm going to take this thing I read today and try to do better in this area. That's great. That's how we change our perspective to what God needs us to know. The second thing is prayer. When you pray, it's not just getting God to do something for you, right? Prayer helps us focus. It helps us change our own minds and our own hearts so that we can focus on the perspective that God wants us to have. It makes us more and more dependent on God because we cannot do this in our own strength. The third thing I have is, is to talk to someone. And as a side note, not only should we talk to someone, we should be willing to accept advice, right? If someone gives us advice, but we're just like, nah, I, I, I'm not gonna listen, whatever. That's how you become a, a real estate in, agent in a, a housing crash. <laughs> we need to be willing to accept advice even though it might hurt sometimes. Uh, over the past few months, I've, I've been struggling with my mental health. I have always been a bit of a scatterbrained person. Um, it seems like Every year I have a new hobby that I dive super deep into. Uh, right now it's gardening, I'm, I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> but this is a characteristic of someone who has ADHD. Now, I have a very hard time keeping focus. I am able to stand up on stage fine, yeah, but prepping for this message, oh man, <laughs> it, was, it was pulling teeth because I couldn't sit down, I couldn't focus. I'm, I'm a stay-at-home dad, I work here with the youth group, I have responsibilities as a husband, as a, as a friend, as a, as I have responsibilities to my family, I have, I have some stuff on my plate, right? But under normal circumstances, it should be manageable. I was having a super hard time doing what I needed to do 
for this ministry. Doing what I needed to do as a father, I had a super hard time doing. I couldn't bring myself to do those things. So I was like, all right, you know what? I need to go get some help. I need to talk to a professional who knows about ADHD, who knows about what I can do to fix this piece about myself. So I went and I saw a psychologist and we went through all the testing for ADHD and she comes back and says, yeah, you have ADHD, but also you have crippling anxiety. And I was like, what? At that point, I could have been like, no, you're crazy. I'm not going to listen to you now. But I was like, what? I don't, I don't have like anxiety attacks. I don't have panic attacks. That's what anxiety is, right? And she's like, well, no, because when you're zoning out for hours on the couch because you can't pay attention, that is called executive dysfunction. The anxiety is causing that executive dysfunction. So we went through different therapies. I'm on some medication. I'm learning different techniques and tools I can use to put myself back on track. And I am a work and progress, but I am better than I was. But if I didn't take that step to say, hey, I need to talk to someone to help to fix this thing, I would still be suffering with that. My challenge for you today is, is this, that we want to talk to someone and or join a life group. Now here at Wellspring, we have opportunities for you to talk to people, right? We have uh, this core value, which is called pursuing community. As a church, we want to pursue community together. So we have these life groups, right? They, they meet on a weekly basis. Yeah, woo! We discuss God, we discuss life, we discuss everything together. And in doing that, we create bonds. And within these bonds, we're able to talk about the deep stuff, right? You don't, I mean, uh, maybe you're this outgoing. I'm not. I'm not going to approach the guy in Walmart about my, my struggles with my son. Like, he doesn't care. He's trying to buy his Wheaties. I don't, I don't know. Um, but within these bonds, we form friendships. Within these friendships, we're able to talk about the heavy stuff. We're able to talk about the heavy stuff within the context of, of God's word. And maybe you already have someone in your life who, who, can, who is wise, who can speak into your life about specific things. I know that I have friends that I love spending time with, but I do not want their opinion on the things of God. Why? Because they don't have God's perspective. The challenge to you is to talk to someone who has God's perspective, someone who is wise in their walk with God, who's been traveling with God for many years, to, who's been in the valleys and they've been on the mountain and they know that God throughout it all is constant. That's the type of person you want speaking into your life. If you don't know that person, that's where life groups come in. That's where you meet that person. That's where we have people who are waiting to be your friend. They're waiting to be your brother or sister in Christ so that you can share some of the pains that we go through in life. Life isn't perfect. But when we connect with each other, because we weren't meant to do this alone, we can make our lives a little better. So we all have flawed perspectives. All of us do. And most of the time, those flawed perspectives lead us into sin. 
But Jesus had the perfect perspective. It was a perspective that led him to the cross to sacrifice himself so that we could be reunited with God. Maybe you're focused on the the here and now. Uh, I know I can be a bit of a news junkie and I can be very focused on, on the happenings of the day. But I do my best to put that aside and focus on eternity. Maybe you are distracted by the here and the now. My, 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 my plea to you is to consider eternity. Consider the perspective of God. The truth is we are eternal beings. And you have a choice of where you can spend eternity. You can, you can cling to God like that little baby chick looking for, for shelter from its mother. Or you can choose to spend eternity separated from God. My plea to you is to turn to God. Follow Jesus. Do not miss it. Do not make your life a reason for Jesus to lament. You can start that journey today. Talk to me, talk talk to Pastor Jason, talk to Graham. We can help you along. We have a Bible we want to leave you to leave with. We have a little pamphlet that talks about uh, uh, the gospel and how Jesus was born as a man and he taught us a lot of great stuff and then he went to the cross and he died for our sins and then he defeated death by rising up on the third day. And that in that we are reborn with him. So if that's you today, maybe that's not you, maybe you just need um, some time to refocus, to change your perspective toward the things of God. We're, we're going to pray for that right now. Lord, we, God, we, we thank you for your perspective. We thank you for your word, which is ever living and eternal. We thank you, Lord, that it can speak into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that when we pray, Father, that you change our hearts. You make them more malleable. We thank you, Lord, for the people around us that are willing to speak into our lives. We thank you, Lord, for those we might meet by joining a life group, that they would be those people we need to walk alongside. And Lord, I thank you for anyone who might be starting that journey today, starting that journey to walk alongside of you. We thank you, Lord, that this is the start to a life changed, to a life renewed, to a life reborn, to a life abundant. Lord, we thank you for this day and all you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.